my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy, and this is the Author Snack Series. Bobby Rebel is an author and host of the Financial Grown-Up Podcast. Her newest book is Launching Financial Grown-Ups, Live your richest life by helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart. She was previously the global business news television anchor and personal finance columnist at Thomson Reuters. Bobby, why did you write this book? I wrote this book because I knew so much on paper and yet was failing fabulously with my almost adult children. And I was so almost embarrassed and baffled at the situation because I mean, I had like two decades of covering investor news and writing about personal finance. I had become a certified financial planner a few years earlier. And yet 
my kids just wouldn't listen. And I realized that there's a lot of advice for parents of younger children who will, they might not always listen in that they might throw a temper tantrum or just ignore you, but they're not going to just kind of, yes, you say, I got it, mom, and like walk out the door with their friends. It's a different level. And the stakes actually are much higher. You're not just teaching them lessons just as a lesson. This is actually happening to them and there are benefits and consequences. So I needed help and I kind of looked for help and there wasn't. So I went to my expert friends and there was a book. One thing that struck me was that your father was a big influence on you becoming financially independent at a young age. Can you talk about what led you to buy your first apartment at age 23? I mean, that's incredibly unusual. It is incredibly unusual. And you're right. My father had a huge role. And it's been very interesting watching his reaction to this book because he's sort of looking back and saying, oh, I forgot. I did sit you guys all down and just tell you had to tell me what you needed for the semester. And he, in that case, he was very generous. He wrote a check, but then that was it. And he said, well, I, I you know, I thought that, well, if you ran out of money, you would just get a job. And, and we did have jobs in college. So after school, I went to Penn. A lot of my friends had these big fancy jobs and I was just, you know, going to my journalism job and I was living at home and we were looking at rental prices in this area called Lincoln Towers on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And the rental prices were like a thousand dollars a month for a ground floor back of the building studio. So we did the math on that and we realized that because it was a time when it was the early 90s, real estate was actually in a real slump in New York City, that if I had the down payment to buy basically that same studio, and they were, they were going for about $100,000. So we did the math on you know what a loan would be and all the costs associated with it. And we realized that I could buy one and the total payments on that would be less than rent. And so I, you know, was able to get the down payment through having had savings. And then I did save by living at home for some time, which is something my stepdaughter did. And then, you know, you do often need parents co-signing for you at that age. So again, I had that parental support, which is definitely privilege and definitely not something everyone has, but I was able to buy a co-op in that complex. It's called Lincoln Towers on the Upper West Side um, in that market slope. But I will tell you, no one else was buying real estate in general at that time. So I bought at a time when people were afraid to buy New York City real estate. And that was very risky in that sense. But we did the math and we felt that the amount of money I would save in even two or three years, not paying rent, but paying this you know partially tax deductible maintenance and mortgage, the math just worked. And so I did it. One of the interesting things about your book is you really put it into context how both COVID and the age of helicopter parenting has changed our relationship with how we how we talk about money with our kids. How has that impacted it? It's so interesting. And that's such a good question. First of all, it's changed our relationships in that when normally kids, adult kids move home, it's often in a situation where they are in financial distress. There's something going on related to them as a person. This, they were moving home because something happening to everyone. So it was a shared experience. And there were other things happening. You, they didn't have activities to constantly run to. They did, weren't making plans to go see their friends in person. So they were around and sort of a little less attached to their friend group than they might have been. We also got to witness, and this is really interesting, we witnessed our adult children working at their jobs. And a lot of parents, I don't think, fully appreciated how hard their kids worked. And so that was a whole new appreciation of them as individuals, not just our children and the way that other people see them and the way that other people might have expectations 
for them. It also helps create an environment where after a certain point, I mean, remember when it was 15 days to stop the spread? Well, okay, so you got 15 days, so your kid comes home, so maybe you're doing their laundry and making sure they have all their meals made for them. But as time went on past that 15 days, things start to settle in a little differently, and maybe mom is not making all of her meals for her 20-something children. Maybe they're starting to make them for their parents. Maybe they're starting to have different kinds of conversations with their parents about their adult money issues that are very different from just, oh, I'm short on cash, can I have some money? Maybe they're really talking more about the things going on in their life and their goals and dreams. And they're also seeing just through general conversation, the financial realities of their parents, which may not be as perfect as they necessarily assumed. A lot of us assume our parents have things always perfect. And I learned over the last few years, even that my parents had more ups and downs than I was aware of at all when I was growing up, that things were not always perfect. And they kept a lot of that from me at an age appropriate time. So it was not a mistake for them to not share it. But it was just interesting to learn that their career paths weren't necessarily perfect all the time. What was your personal experience during the pandemic with your almost adult kids and talking about money? It was a lot of that. I mean, we did have a lot of conversations that we never would have had because um, the oldest one, well, she had actually just graduated college and started her job. So she was very busy and I got to witness how, as I said, how hard she was working. She worked for a consulting company. And I also was able to see my stepson was, he was, gosh, he was a sophomore when he moved home. He's at NYU Tisch Film School. So it was interesting to see him adjusting and to see how they related to their friends. And, you know, you just talk to them more because they're there and you didn't have distractions. They weren't going out to meet their friends at night. They were just home. And so I remember we went the first few months we were um, in kind of upstate New York at a house and we had dinner the first night there. I remember it was a taco Tuesday and we all sat down to dinner together at the same time on a weeknight, not a special occasion or a holiday. And my youngest who's 14 commented, he says, we've never had dinner together and everybody liked it. And we did start to really have dinner together where even if someone so wasn't hungry or whatever, they came and sat at dinner time. And so many conversations happened then and just getting to know each other in a way that wasn't as purposeful. It just happened sort of, I hate the word authentically, but it did. It happened authentically. And that, that was a great experience for our family. And I think that they came to respect us. They saw us as adults, not just parents, which is also really healthy. They saw more of our lives because they're seeing it from a different perspective as young adults, not kids that are in high school getting ready to go to college. They're let, they weren't as only focused on themselves. Were there any kind of financial stories about your ups and downs that you shared with them during this period of time that they didn't know? Yeah. Well, I always share them because I think it's really important. So I don't, I have to think that's why I'm sort of struggling about the timing of when I share things. I certainly share the fact that you talked about the apartment. Well, after I got the apartment, I then wanted to do a Hamptons share and I was so tight on money that I took out a loan, <laughs> which is not good to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I have shared that publicly. It's in my previous book. But um, yeah, so don't do that. So they know that. So <laughs> they know we do all, you know, look, we are always making mistakes all throughout life. And, and it's really a question of being able to course correct and make different decisions. But we all make mistakes. And I think that they're more than aware of that. There's also a fine line, right, that, that I think parents try to straddle with what is too much to share? And how do you figure that out? Well, you look at, first of all, the child's personality, maturity, age, need 
for example, in the book, I start at age 16 because they need to know things if they're going to start driving a car, if they're going to have a job, it, there's a need that they have to understand the basics of what's going to come out of their paycheck and, and the responsibilities that go with having a job. So you focus on all of those things, but remember that you may unintentionally give them reason to worry. So if you think that they are sort of getting a sense of things, it's important to talk to them directly. So they're not just getting it from overhearing things. Sometimes we aren't as discreet as we think we are. And I think that's the worst case scenario is when you unintentionally are giving them information to be worried about. So if that's happening, you need to be more direct with them and let them in on things. But it is important to give them a general sense of, you know, your values when it comes to money more than a scarcity mindset, you want to avoid that. So you can talk to them about where you're prioritizing your resources. And maybe there are times when you're going to be a little bit more careful with money, because you have a goal like saving for their college. So you can talk to them about those kinds of things. You don't have to assign dollar numbers to everything. For example, if you want to talk to them about what we call estate planning, which is a terrible name because it implies that you have to be uber wealthy. But the truth is all that means is kind of where everything goes, you know, when you pass and um, you can tell them the general ideas that you have without telling them dollar amounts. That said, a lot of information is available on the internet. So even if you have a little kid like Amy with a seven-year-old, if their kid, if their friends got curious, they could all look up what everybody's houses cost and things. So they can figure stuff out because of technology. They have a lot more information than we had when we were young. And so don't be naive and think that they don't know things. So control the information if you think that they're getting it. I used to host a radio show. It was a call-in show and people would call with their problems and the second most common problem was a failure to launch discussion of what do I do? My child won't leave the house in terms of you know financial independence. They don't make enough money. And my spouse says we should kick them out. How do we handle this? Every case is different. But in general, you need to sit down with the young adult and talk about your expectations, your hopes for them, and really come up with a plan. And one of the toughest things to do is tell them that their dream, you know, they may be saying, well, I'm home because I'm working on this business or I'm working on my big project. You have to basically say, okay, but you need income too. So if you want to be here, I need to see an income producing job. I don't care if you don't like it. You need a job just to have a job for money. And unless you do, you're going to have to find another place to live by this time. And of course, it depends on the context. If they've been home a week, give them a break, but they have to have an exit strategy. And that is one of the themes that I talk about in the book. But along with expectations, you also have to let them know that you have confidence in them, that they can do it and that you believe in them and that you're there as a resource, not a financial resource, but as a resource to come up with ideas and to brainstorm and let them figure out the details, but let them know that this is a very temporary situation and that they, you know, set a timeline, work backwards. If they say they need more time, say, explain to me why and make a decision if you think that's valid, but you need to really set the bar high and let them know that they can do it. That's the biggest thing. Cause there's usually more psychology than fact in why they're staying home. They're probably afraid to fail. They're afraid to disappoint you. They might've set a goal and set it publicly and they haven't gotten, they haven't made it yet. Right. So they don't want to disappoint anyone. It's okay to be doing a job job while you're following your dream. So much of your book, what I enjoy about it is that 
it's not just like, here are the facts, here's how to set up a Roth IRA. It's it's infused with emotion, which I think is such a big part of our relationship with money. Yeah, because that was the hard part. It is more psychology than fact. I do have the factual information in there, but I had that and I was failing. And that's because I wasn't communicating well. It's important to really think about, for example, the tone in which you speak to your children and make sure it's a supportive tone, not a judgmental tone, that you're accepting them, that you're hearing what they are saying. One of the people interviewed in my book, and I believe you've interviewed her on this this podcast, is Tori Dunlop. So she's right in this category. She's 25 years old. And the most important thing she really said, and I think she's spot on, is listen and hear what your child is saying. Because if you just yell at them to get out of the house by a certain date, they probably won't, by the way, and it's going to ruin your relationship and create tension. And what's the point of that, right? You're basically saying you're a failure. Get out of my house. Those, that's not what you want to do. You want to just listen to them. Tell me why you're here. What is this you know, season of your life doing to get you to where you want to be? How can I help you besides just indefinitely providing a place to sleep? I want to help you proactively. You know, Maybe, and I say in the book, if you have connections, life is hard enough. Make the connection, make, make the introduction, make sure your child is going to follow up, make sure it's going to be well-received, but do the things that you can do within your power reasonably to help them leave. Did you talk to your kids before you wrote the book about the fact that you felt like you were failing on connecting with them on this front? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, what, and what did they, and what did they say? Okay. So Ashley wrote the epilogue and it's my favorite part of the book. And I had to, so, and I can be a helicopter parent, even though I was aware of it and didn't want to be it. I see it. I see it all the time. And she, you know, she wrote this epilogue, which gives her perspective on what I wrote. And it gives her money tips and her justification of a lot of things that we fought about. And so it's really funny. So she defends her decision in the epilogue, which I, I talk about in the book, how she's living at home, rent-free, you know, we're not charging her for anything except the phone bill, which is another thing, but, but we're basically, you know, she's living free and I am watching her savings build and she's doing great. And the pandemic helped because she wasn't running to go out with her friends. There was a lot less temptation. And then all of a sudden she's like, Oh, um, my boyfriend and I are buying season passes to Disney world. Now we live in New York city. <laughs> Disney world is in Orlando. There's a pandemic. Her number one priority is saving for this apartment that she's wanted since she was 13. Basically, since she met me and moved in and she heard my story, she's been saving for this apartment for, you know, whatever, almost a decade. And I'm like, this is not aligned with what you've told me you want to do. And it's my job to help you. And, you know, I, and I'm also thinking, and I need you, I love you, but I want you to go out and be happy. And, you know, because we had everybody home for the pandemic and she just was adamant and we fought about it. I was so angry and she justified it. And I sort of went, well, I can't control it. She'll probably be home forever. And this is not going well. My book will just, my book, you know, my book, I'm like, well, it'll work out if she buys the apartment. If she doesn't, that'll be just a reality check. Okay. And in the epilogue, I'm not going to go into the whole story, you will hear her perspective on how she justified buying season passes for Disney World while living in New York City in a pandemic, the Disney World in Orlando. But Ashley has really grown into her own. And she has, look, she has to choose her priorities. And that's the other thing. She's getting a puppy. Now she waited till she had sort of more money in her emergency fund. And she's been in the apartment for 
a year at this point. And so now she's literally getting a puppy in a few days. So she waited for it and she's researched vets and she researched all the costs. Do I think she should get a puppy now? No, I think she should wait a couple more years. But she, I have full confidence I'm not paying for the puppy. What kind of financial grown-up advice would you give to college students considering graduate school? You need to actually talk about it and run the numbers and say, okay, if you are going to use the law degree and this is important to you, that's fine. But look at what it'll cost and really think about what kind of law you're going to practice because that's where it really falls apart. You have to look. I mean, I saw, I, I just opened a TikTok account. So everybody, please follow me. It's just my name. But I saw a TikTok and it said, and it was mortifying because it said the five jobs from that you get an undergraduate degree that are the worst jobs, the worst value. In other words, if you like, if you have student debt and you need to pay them off, these are the five worst jobs. And journalism, which is basically what I've done my whole life, was like top of the list of like jobs where you can kind of earn your money back. So that would be a bad move financially. It doesn't mean you don't do it, but you need to recognize. So if you're going to go into law, think, I don't know enough about which areas of law necessarily pay the most, but you should think about if you're going to have a lot of law school debt, what is the plan to pay it off as quickly as possible? Think about what kind of law will pay really well. Where is the demand for lawyers right now for the highest paid law? You may not see in it forever, but just go for it. Because the other thing is people think their money is tight when they're in the lowest paying jobs in their early in their career. But actually, because you often have no dependents, you have the most discretionary money and it's the easiest to pay off those loans. So really focusing down when you're young and just out can really help. That's something that's very relevant, unfortunately, in places like medical school, but also even undergrad. I mean, think about the career you're going into. And now a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What is your perspective on women and money? I mean, you have worked with, at this point, I would imagine thousands of people. And are there gender differences in and why? I think there are gender differences. I think a lot of women, it's a stereotype, unfortunately, for a reason. And I think you've seen this. And that's something that you've been such a wonderful advocate for, that women are many, it's, it's, I don't like to generalize, but women can sometimes fall into the trap of wanting someone to just take care of them and deal with that because they perceive that they're not good at money. But the truth is money is not that hard. Don't spend more than you have. Make sure your money is invested and diversified. That's really kind of it, right? So I I don't I I'm not a specialist in that, but I think that women have more need for money because we earn less and we live longer, and we often in cases of divorce. And by the way, I'm divorced. I've seen my husband was divorced from his from his ex, obviously, and so I've seen um, how the money goes. And what women need to understand is that sometimes. A marriage will end even not through divorce. Sometimes you can be widowed or all kinds of things can happen. Your husband could lose their job. Um, Both men that I was married to have had career ups and downs and you have to step in. I have twice had to be the breadwinner unexpectedly. Right now, he's the primary breadwinner, but I always make sure I'm earning money. He's been very supportive of it. He keeps saying he wants to be a kept man. So I think that you are always going to feel more confident and more secure if you have money that you control. And by the way, my first marriage that I just alluded to, had I not had both money and wonderful family support, I think it would have been much harder for me to leave. And it makes me very sad. And I am on the board of a charity that works to um, educate women that are victims of domestic violence on financial literacy, because without money, it is very hard to leave a bad situation. And that's the extreme version of it. But I'm very passionate about that problem and finding ways to get women to advocate for themselves when it comes to participating in family money decisions and not just stepping back. What is one piece of advice that you would give that isn't in the book? I'll tell you some things that have happened since the book that are just personal anecdotes that really show that even as far along as I have come, the journey really does continue as much as that is the cliche that I still catch myself doing helicopter and snowplow things. So just recently, for example, we noticed we're going, so we're going on this trip to Alaska, but we have to go through Canada. And so we want to make sure our passports are up to date, which everyone should do anyway. So Bradley is 22 years old and we noticed his passport was expired. So we, because we know that when you have children, you have to go to the 
the passport office or the post office together to get it renewed. My husband and I went to the post office to get it renewed and we were informed that he's an adult and he has to do it himself. <laughs> we wanted to renew his passport. Do you, are you getting the connection? Like we don't perceive our child. Like it didn't occur to us to just like tell our 22 year old to renew his passport. Now, when we did, he was like, okay. And he just like made an appointment and did it. Like he's perfectly capable. And the other thing that happened that's not in the book is for the high holidays last year. So we're Jewish. We go to a synagogue and the way that it works is you get tickets for the high holidays and you write to them and you say how many, you know, you need and they allocate appropriately depending on, you know, your membership. And so I said, well, we need two for my husband and I, and we need three for our children. And I get back a note that said, well, we're going to give you, you know, two adult tickets for um, you and your husband will give you, you have a 14 year old, no problem. You'll, you can, or he was 13 at the time. Um, and you can, you know, and then there's a college student ticket, no problem. And they said, but Ashley needs her own membership. I was so offended. I was like, what do you mean? Oh my God. And I went to my husband. I'm like, they want her to have her own membership. And, you know, I wrote back and I was like, what do you mean? And she said, she's 25. She needs her own membership. (laughs) (laughs) But she's my child. And they're like, but she's an adult. And she, so I'm all this to say, but it keeps happening. And, you know, I'm trying. I'm right there with all of you, I guess, is my advice that's not in the book is that it doesn't magically go away. We always see these adults as our children and they're fine. I mentioned Ashley and she was like, we ended up not going because Delta variant got crazy and we didn't want to be in person. But she was like, oh, maybe I'll look into my own membership. Like, it's not them, it's us. And so that's the advice I would give is just kind of like check yourself. Because we all have these moments where we just can't like process that even though there are children, like literally legally, they are adults. You legally cannot do certain things. You cannot renew your adult child's passport for them. Society is stopping us, but it's hard. It's really hard to let go. And it's hard to understand that they are fine. The book is Launching Financial Grownups. And that was Bobby Rebel. I am going to be giving this to every teen parent on my list. And I highly recommend reading it. If you enjoy What's Her Story with Sam and Amy, please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and do let us know what you think of the Author Snack series by commenting on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast.